like to celebrate Flower Communion in early June because that's when Dr. Chapek celebrated it with his congregation. I thought this morning my remarks would center on the life of Dr. Chapek because in our current political climate, I think his story and his example has a lot to offer us. And I'm aware that many Unitarian Universalists do not know the details of the story behind flower communion or flower ceremony, as Dr. Chapek called it, or about Dr. Chapek, the person who started this tradition. He first celebrated this in 1924 with the Congregation Unitaria in Prague, at the time the world's largest Unitarian congregation with over 5,000 members. The words with which we consecrated the flowers and the words of the prayer I offered this morning were his own words that he used in the ceremony each year. He celebrated flower communion for the last time in June of 1940 with Hitler's Gestapo sitting in the back of the church. Nazi Germany had invaded Czechoslovakia on March 15, 1939, and Reverend Chopek had remained at his pastorate. He declined an invitation from the American Unitarian Association to get him out of the country. President Frederick May Elliott, president of the association at that time, wanted to help him escape, and he said, no, I need to stay here. Chopek's wife, Maya, was already on a speaking tour in America, having left shortly before the Nazis invaded. When they said their goodbyes, they knew it may be the last time they saw each other, and that was the case. Reverend Chopek continued to hold Sunday services and run his church's weekly education and worship programs with German soldiers present in the congregation, first subtly and then more overtly speaking out against German occupation and the Nazis, and increasingly taking part in the resistance movement. Chopek's biographer Richard Henry writes, one can only marvel at the moral stamina the spiritual toughness Norbert Chopek was able to summon under the circumstance. Heartsick at the absence of his beloved wife, who was speaking before audience thousands of miles away about his work, trying to rally support for the cause of their prostrate nation, he somehow managed to project an indomitable spirit amidst the enveloping gloom. I used to say that Dr. Chopek is an example of the type of courage none of us are ever really required to demonstrate. And yet, the current political climate makes me wonder if there will not come a time soon when we are called to do just that. We tend to cling to Unitarian Universalism as a spiritual refuge, as a safe house, which can sometimes be needed in a religiously or culturally hostile atmosphere. But I think of the Prague congregation 
Would I come to church, I think, with German soldiers and then the Gestapo sitting in the back of the church, standing at the doorway to the sanctuary, looking, writing down names, knowing I would be on the list when the oppression got worse? It did get worse in Czechoslovakia, October 28, 1939, after a violent protest against the German occupation and the Unitarian services all over became under routine surveillance. In June of 1940, Chopek turned 70 years old and the congregation gave him a shortwave radio. The radio came with a mandatory tag from German authorities that listening to and or relaying information from foreign broadcasts carried the penalty of death. Chopek listened anyway. He was first brought in for questioning October 1940 and released. He wasn't so lucky the second time. The Gestapo raided his home on the morning of March 28, 1941 and spent hours tearing the place apart, confiscating sermons, writings, letters, books, and his belongings. Chopek offered them coffee. refusing to be intimidated or denigrated. He and his younger daughter, Zora, were arrested and charged with listening to foreign radio broadcasts. Chopek was sent to the concentration camp at Dachau on July 5th, 1941. He was issued prisoner number 30323. From there, he was sent to Hartheim Castle near Linz, Austria, where he was gassed. Of all our famous Unitarians, I think Norbert Chopek would be my saint if we had them. He was a Roman Catholic who became a Baptist and then a Unitarian seeking until he found a religion broad enough for his own spirit and his own ideas. And he spent his life making a religious home for others. And when finally called to stand on the principle that there is no such thing as a lesser person, he did. He had the chance to escape. He did not. The story of Reverend Chopek is one that I, I think makes me proud to be a Unitarian Universalist. <clears throat> I want you to know that story because the beautiful flower ritual that comes to us through him, such a beautiful and courageous person, has a lot of impact, I think, for our lives and I think has a lot to call forth in us given the current and possibly coming political climate in our country. His theology is summed up well in his flower ceremony ritual. We are all unique and equal. There never has been, nor is now, nor will be anyone exactly like you. You are a holy gift. And so is your friend. And the person you're not getting along with so well right now. Each of us, a singularity, a sacred treasure in our uniqueness 
and what we have to offer the common bouquet. We are all equal in what makes us fundamentally human, and yet we all share that same human condition differently with different gifts and treasures and things to offer that make us uniquely us. A single flower is lovely. A bouquet is astonishingly beautiful and grand and complex. Flowers can be extravagant in a garden or an arrangement. A rose garden, for example, or a bouquet of roses, an extraordinary thing. Yet there is always a force in the world, it seems, that doesn't like mixing all the flowers together in the bouquet or an array of wildflowers on the side of the road. It seems that there's a force in the world that always seems to want to scapegoat an enemy to rally around in order to gather the flowers together and make them all the same. No wildflowers wanted here. Sometimes it's hard to see what that force is because each of us can fall prey to it fairly easily. People ask, how? How could something like Hitler and the Nazis have happened and come to power? How could so many people have gone along with the prejudice, the hatred, the violence, the genocide? I used to wonder like that. Now, in today's climate, is it really that hard to understand what happened there? Because it happens among children in playgrounds. And it happens among adults in clubs and organizations and governments. It happens when us is created against a them. Instead of remembering that there is only a we. When people feel intimidated about speaking up and standing up for what is right, even in a small group in any situation, it can lead to disastrous results. Our courage is needed in the office, the playground, the schoolyard, the town meeting. When the us is made to be inferior and stupid and weak, and woe to anyone who stands against us in power. This is what makes Dr. Chopek, I think, so admirable. His ability to live under the most trying circumstances, what we claim as our values. I think all of us at one time or another has told, you don't belong in this bouquet, you don't fit in here, you're not exactly what we're looking for. This produces hurt and resentment, and it can last a long time, if not a lifetime. It can be difficult to remember there are those gathering the different flowers together, preaching equality and dignity and peace and an end to pain and prejudice. We cannot be our best when drowning in the hurt others cast out at us. And sometimes our only defense is as difficult as it is is to reach out and embrace others who would not have us. Dr. Chopek knew this. He preached and taught this. His most widely read book was something called The Sunny Shore. And we would now call this a self-help book. 
At the time, it was a rather novel thing in Europe. He knew what Unitarian Universalism holds out to the world. With sun and care and tending, we all flower and bloom and create a better world together. And this message is under siege. Our politics on all sides has become, if you disagree with me, not only are you wrong, but you are evil. The only way out of this climate is dialogue and relationship, including and especially across lines where it is most difficult. If we fail in the building of community, if we fail truly enough, totalitarianism comes in, promising to make everything better by eliminating all the flowers who aren't like us, who aren't the rose we're trying to fit in the bouquet with all the other roses and roses only, thank you very much. We are called to courage and remembering, learning, and teaching the language of the flowers. If we fail, our task becomes ever more difficult and harder to gather the courage to try again. We can witness to the world the community we want to create. And our witness may cost us much now. But should we not try, it could end up costing us everything later. And because it is our task to create the kind of community that dispels the enemies of the language of the flowers, we cook and serve and clean up at the community meal. We volunteer at the community harvest. We take up collections for community partners on Sunday. Why I ask you to walk with me for a half hour, an hour on Saturday morning, June 18th, and tell people in Milford no one needs to be hungry this summer, where one in two children go to school hungry every day. You know, someone asked me recently why we spend time and energy and our money feeding people in Milford. To which my only thought was, how can we not? People are hungry. And are we not the kind of people who feed someone who comes to us hungry? We can create hope with our flowers. We can create community with our flowers. And with the language of the flowers, we refuse to give up speaking and teaching to others. When people forget the language of the flowers, there are dictators and violence and death camps. If we remember the language of the flowers, there is always hope that we can create the beautiful bouquet of beloved community. <clears throat> 